This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, let's get into the Word of God once more. Pick up your Bibles, open them up. We are in Acts chapter 11. Last time out, we rejoiced that the gospel went to the Gentiles. They received it in repentance and faith, and the Spirit of God fell upon them. However, when Peter returns to Jerusalem, he has a question to answer. Let's look at Acts 11 this morning, verses 1 to 18. This is the word of God. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me and looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were. Sent, me from, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just on, as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God and they said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. And we thank God as always for his precious word. It was the late great Sam Cooke who once sang that he didn't know much about history. He didn't know much about biology. He didn't know much about the science book or the French he took. But what Sam Cooke did know what he did remember was that he loved the person he was singing to. 
I don't know if you know that song. I don't know if it's one of your favorites. I don't know if you know all the words off by heart and you sing it to your loved one every single day. But if you do, then you will notice that nowhere in that song is Sam Cooke concerned about theology. He's forgotten everything that he once learned, but it seems that he didn't even actually pick up a theology book. You might consider that and think, well, do you know what? Sam Cooke was a wise man because after all, theology? Oh, boring. We often have that attitude as Christians, don't we? We don't want to get too deep into the Christian faith. We want to leave the big items of doctrine, the big items of Christian thinking, the big items of theology. We leave that to the super keen or to the preachers or to other churches. But it isn't for me. It's not for us. Brothers and sisters, if that is your contention, then I want to remove that from you. I want to disabuse you of the notion that theology is irrelevant, that it is boring, that it is not for you, because it surely is. The word theology comes from two other words. The first is theos, meaning God, and the second is logos, meaning words, the, the word, if you like. And so when we come to theology, it is literally a study of the words about God. And so very quickly, if that is true, we will see that every Christian is someone who is a theologian. Whether they like it or not, whether they think theology is boring or not, every single Christian is a theologian. And how do I know that? Because every single Christian will make bold statements about the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we will say something that is remarkable. We will stand on Easter Sunday and we will say Christ is risen. This coming week, so-called Holy Week, we might make reference to Christ going to the cross and we will say that Jesus died for our sins. Brothers and sisters, this is not boring. This is the life-giving truth of God. Our theology our beliefs about the words that belong to God, our studies in the scriptures, they point us to the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's a theological statement. That he was raised again from the dead. That's a theological statement. And he ascended up into heaven. More theology. And not one bit of it is boring. In our church, we preach Christ crucified, Christ raised and Christ ascended and Christ coming back. All wonderfully glorious, rich theology, which is for you and for your sake. Brothers and sisters, theology is not boring. It is much more important than history, biology, the science book or the French you took. Theology is for you. Now you might consider, Scott, why are you lecturing us about the beauty and the majesty and the interest of theology? Well, it's because in Acts chapter 11, by the time Peter gets back up into Jerusalem, a theological issue has arisen. Sometimes we consider the church in these days after Christ's ascension to be a place where it was always perfect, always joyous, always wonderful, never any debates, never any discussions, never any problems. But very quickly in the book of Acts, we see that that is simply not true. The church of Jesus Christ has always had issues and always will have issues because it is full of sinful men and women like us. Peter goes back up to Jerusalem and he faces criticism. 
In Acts 11 and verse 2, the criticism comes from somebody called the Circumcision Party. Now, this isn't a group of children's entertainers. After all, who would want to go to a circumcision party? This is a group of Christians coming out of Judaism who firmly believe that if Gentiles are going to be saved, then they need to be circumcised and they need to follow the rules and regulations of Judaism. We see this issue played out in Acts 11 and we see it in other places in the New Testament. It was a very live issue in these days. The majority of Christians in these times were coming from the background of Judaism. As the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, that statistic changes. More and more Gentiles come to faith and more and more Gentiles become the majority in the church. But in these early days, as the gospel leaves Jerusalem, the majority are still from a Jewish background. And many of them, belonging to the circumcision party, believe that perhaps Peter has misrepresented the things of God. They say to him in verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Straight away we see here in the church of Jesus Christ in the days after the ascension, it isn't all sweetness and light. There's criticism. I'm not saying that we should always seek criticism in the church. Criticism is like a disease that when it infects a church, it's hard to get it out. We can always be critical. We can go to criticism as our first reaction. Doesn't matter how well things are going. Sometimes we just want to criticize. It's always been this way. And the criticism comes from the circumcision party who say you ate with men who were uncircumcised. You visited them. You sat at their table. You ate their food. This cannot be. Boys and girls, I asked you, Why people were cross at Peter? Why did Peter get criticized? And the answer comes, boys and girls, last week in Acts 10, Peter is criticized because he had gone to the home of someone called Cornelius and he had sat down and he had ate food with Cornelius. And boys and girls, you might think, well, Scott, that's not a big deal. That's not something to get worked up about. But in these days, when there were still those coming out of Judaism called Jews and still those coming out of the Gentile world, the Gentiles, those two didn't mix. And so Peter going to the house of Cornelius was hugely significant. Boys and girls, Peter was criticized because he had gone to the home of someone who was coming from a Gentile background. Someone, boys and girls, like us. We were Gentiles, and now through faith in Jesus, we have been saved. But in these days, Peter going to the home of someone like Cornelius, ooh, that was controversial. And so Peter comes to Jerusalem, and the circumcision party criticize him. You went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. Brothers and sisters, to such a a theological statement, to such a theological criticism, how would you respond? You see, theology is not dull and dry and dusty for a big thick book on the shelf and just for the super keen because every day all around us there are theological questions. Maybe you will go and walk through Belfast and there'll be a wee man handing out tracts and he will ask you a question. He will say, are you born again? 
How do you answer? If you're a Christian, the answer is quite simple. Yes, I am. But sometimes those wee men with the tracks will say, are you born again? And you say, yes, I am. And then they reply, are you really though? How do you respond? When someone comes to you and asks you something about your faith, asks you something about your belief, how do you respond? Theology is not just for the so-called experts. Theology is for every Christian. We are to always give an answer for the hope that we profess. So how would you respond to a brother or sister in Christ? And I want to stress that the circumcision party, these were men and women who were coming out of Judaism. They had trusted in Christ, but they had misunderstood the word of God. They come to say, you went to the uncircumcised men, you ate with them, how would you respond? In this day and age, 2021, about to head into the Easter season, why is it that we do things differently now than, than the way we find them in the Old Testament? Why is it that we no longer worry about wearing mixed fibres? Why is it that we no longer worry about eating shellfish on our plate? Why is it that maybe even this morning some of us rejoiced in a nice slice of bacon and a nice wee breakfast bap? Why do we do those things? And why is it that even now, here this Sunday, the Lord's Day, why is it that we gather for worship today and not Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath? I know these all might seem like boring, dull theological questions, but they are relevant. There is great truth to be had in the answer that Peter is about to give. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Why? How? What's that all about? Brothers and sisters, today we will consider it for a moment. You see, it is of vital significance in the history of the church. We touched that last week and the gospel had come to the Gentiles. It is preached. They believe it. They receive it. The spirit falls upon them. This is a remarkable moment in the history of the church. Throughout the Old Testament, I've always made it clear the church exists. We do not believe that there is such a thing called the New Testament church. There is the church of Jesus Christ from the very beginning to the end of the age. We see the church in the Old Testament but things are different there. Why is it? How has it changed? What are we to do? Today I want to remind you that when it comes to the Old Testament, we meet three sets of law. Boys and girls, I asked you to name them, so please listen up, because the first one we call the moral law. Now, boys and girls, if you can't spell that, then, then what I simply want you to do is call them the heart laws, if you like. Make a heart shape, draw it on a page, colour it in. The heart laws. The moral laws. And we find those, boys and girls, in the Ten Commandments. We've all heard the story about Moses up the mountain and, and God gives him the tablets of stone. Here are the moral laws, the heart laws. The laws that God has written on our heart. In the beginning, Adam was entered into a covenant of works with the Lord. Adam is given the law. He is bound to it. He is to obey it. And yet he falls. He falls into sin. The covenant of works lies in tatters. And so later on, when Moses goes up the mountain, the moral law, the heart laws of God, are not invented for the first time, but they are republished 
at Sinai. They are republished and they are written on tablets of stone. And Moses brings them down to the people and they are to obey them. They can be summed up by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 22 verse 37 to 40 Jesus says that we are to love God with our hearts, our souls, our minds and we are to love our neighbour as ourselves. These heart laws, the moral law is still in force. Today boys and girls, today mums and dads we are to honour our parents. Today boys and girls and mums and dads we are not to tell lies, we are not to covet, to steal. Today we are to keep the Lord's day. We are to meet and to worship the Lord. We are to set aside one day and seven to honour him. Today, boys and girls, we, we do not take the Lord's name in vain. That means to take the name of God and to use it foolishly and sinfully. To maybe use it as a bad word. Or to maybe call upon the Lord when we don't really mean it. We are not to take his name in vain. Today we are not to draw any pictures, any images of God. Today we are to do all of these things because God's moral law, the heart laws, are still in force. But let me remind you that none of these laws, none of these moral heart laws could save. Paul writes in Galatians 2 and verse 16 that a person is not justified by works of the law. A person cannot be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. See, sometimes we think that the men and women in the Old Testament must have been saved in a different way. They must have been saved by obeying the law, but we know that that's impossible. Only Christ Jesus was able to do that, but you and I could never do it. So the moral law was not given to save, but it was republished at Sinai as a schoolmaster, if you like, put in charge until the coming of Christ. The moral law was to show the men and women of God their inability to save themselves. It was to give them a hunger and a thirst for the coming saviour. The moral law today is holy and it is good. It cannot save, but it shows us how we can please Almighty God. Peter is asked about circumcision. He is asked about how he went to uncircumcised men and he ate with them. The moral law is still in force, but in answer to the criticism that comes Peter's way, we need to consider the ceremonial law and the civic law. Boys and girls, I asked you again to name the three types of law. We've talked about the heart law, but now, boys and girls, we're going to talk about the worship law. We talk about the ceremonial or the worship laws where in the Old Testament the people of God were commanded that they had to worship God in a certain way. They were given various different bits and pieces that were to help them in worship. They were to point them forward to Christ. They had the Passover supper. The Lord was with them. They built the temple. They were to worship there. All of this was put in place to help the people worship the Lord and to point forward to Christ. We talk about types and we talk about shadows. We, we talk about all of that in the Old Testament because later when Christ would come, they would realize that he was the substance. And so when these men and women in Acts 11 are getting all worked up about circumcision, they had missed the point. They had missed the point that the ceremonial law had gone. 
because Christ had come, he had fulfilled it. In Matthew 27 and verses 50 to 51, we see the curtain of the temple is torn in two. And so today we do not bring little lambs or goats or animals or any of that type to the church. We do not sacrifice it anymore. We do not observe a, a mass where supposedly the blood and the body of Christ is shed abroad once more. Jesus has died once and for all at Calvary. His body was laid in a tomb. He rose again from the dead. The curtain is torn in two. Today he has fulfilled the ceremonial worship law. And so no longer do we need to consider circumcision. No longer do we need to consider what it is we eat or the cleanliness that we bring to worship or don't. Jesus is the substance. We read about Christ in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Daniel talks of one who will make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and to offering. I contend that Jesus is spoken of in Daniel 9 and verse 27. I believe that Jesus is the one who has put an end to sacrifice and offering. And indeed, if we struggle to believe that, we see in Ephesians 2, Paul once again reminds us that Jesus has abolished the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And indeed as Peter, as Paul would say later in Colossians 2 and verse 14. Jesus has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside. He nailed it to the cross. And therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here is the theological answer to the theological criticism that was addressed to Peter. What do you think you're doing? Eating with the Gentiles. What do you think you're doing? Going to the home of a Gentile. You're misrepresenting God here. And Peter's answer he preaches Christ. Peter, throughout Acts 11, reports what had happened. He reports about the vision he received. He, he reports that God told him, what God has made clean, do not call common. Everything had changed. The heart laws were still in place, but the worship laws had been fulfilled. And not only that, boys and girls, but there was one more kind of law that Jesus also fulfilled. We call them the civic laws, or in other words, boys and girls, the everyday laws. There's the heart laws, the worship laws, and the everyday laws. How these men and women were supposed to live. See, in the Old Testament, the church of Jesus Christ was an ethnic national Israel. In Genesis 49 and verse 10, we read a word of prophecy that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Here again, it is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king over his people. 
And in the Old Testament days, we saw that in national Israel. But today, the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, is in every nation and land and tribe and tongue all over this world. Jesus reminds us in John 18 and verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. So the everyday laws fulfilled by Christ. The worship laws fulfilled by Christ. Why do we no longer circumcise our baby boys? Because circumcision has been fulfilled. Jesus has come. His blood has been shed. He was the one cut off for our sake. And so now our circumcision is baptism. No longer do we observe the Passover meal because Jesus is the Passover lamb. His blood has paid the price. We look to Jesus as the finished sacrifice, all sufficient. And so our Passover lamb is the Lord's Supper. The worship laws and the everyday laws have been fulfilled. No longer are we national Israel, but we are the true Israel of God throughout this world. No longer are we worship the Lord in one place in Jerusalem, but today we worship him wherever we are in spirit and in truth. Here is the reality of the fulfilment of both the worship and the everyday laws, the civic and the ceremonial. This is why we enjoy bacon. This is why we're not too worried about shellfish. This is why we don't consider mixed fibers. This is why Jew and Gentile under Christ can now eat together and worship together and live together. The old has gone and the new has come. The theological criticism brought to Peter by the members of the circumcision party was answered in the person and the work of Jesus. The Lord told us exactly this in Matthew 5 and verse 17. He says, do not think that I have to come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Why do you eat? with the uncircumcised? Why do you go to the home of the unclean? Peter could do it because Christ was the substance. Peter could do it because Christ came and fulfilled the civic and the ceremonial law perfectly on our behalf. He fulfilled the moral law perfectly on our behalf. Jesus came and by his active and his passive obedience, he jotted down every eye, crossed every T. The law was filled in the obedience of Christ. The criticism comes. But Peter reminds these individuals all about what has happened. He tells them the story of the vision. He tells them that men came from Caesarea and took him there. He says that he went and he preached the gospel and he told them about their need of Christ. Verse 16, he remembered the word of the Lord when the Spirit had fallen upon these Gentiles, how the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 17, Peter tells these critics, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord, who was I that I could stand in God's way? How did Peter answer the theological criticism by reminding these men and women that Peter's theology was all of Christ, the substance, not the type, not the shadow, 
but the substance. Brothers and sisters, I am aware that this sermon might seem very obscure and a bit irrelevant, and you think to yourself, Scott, theology, boring, civic, ceremonial, moral, boring. But these questions and the answers that I've given you are for your good and for your sake. We must not be ignorant of the things of God. We must be aware of what it is that we believe and why we believe it because there will still be those in our fellowships and around us who will ask those questions and who will perhaps seek to put dividing lines of hostility back up once more in the people of God. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world where the Christian church is divided. We live in difficult days where questions come from inside and outside the church. We live in days where perhaps our faith is undermined by the critics of the gospel. What is to be done? We look on to Jesus as we find him in the pages of God's word. The answer to this theological criticism came in the theology of Peter, a theology that was centred and founded upon and an agreement with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ is the substance. And if Christ is the substance, then we, may we always seek to make much of Christ. Christ is the substance and, and if indeed that is true then may we always seek more of Christ. We are a week away from returning to live worship and I pray indeed that the days of standing in front of this camera will soon be over but when we return next Sunday may we not make it about ourselves, about our likes, our dislikes, our frustrations we return with the same old grudges and the same old problems. We return and we're a bit miffed because we might have to sit in the hall and not in the church. Brothers and sisters, next week I urge you, I pray indeed that every single one of us comes and we come seeking Jesus. Not ourselves. Not coming to seek, to divide, to stir up, to huff, to strop but may we come to seek Jesus, the substance, the promised one, the Christ. Why does circumcision no longer apply? Because Christ has fulfilled the civic and the ceremonial law. Why does the Christian no longer need to observe festivals or new moons or Sabbaths? Because Christ, the substance, has come and fulfilled the ceremonial and civic law. Why, therefore, do we not worry when someone passes judgment upon us over what we eat and drink? Because Christ, the substance, has come and he has fulfilled the civic and the ceremonial laws. The old has gone and the new has come. Brothers and sisters, we've all been in that place. When a well-meaning Christian around us points the finger. When a fellowship near us tells us that we are apostate. We're not Christians. We don't do things properly. We don't have the same standards as they do. Our king is Jesus. We worship God and not man. And when these theological criticisms come, as they surely will, 
May Christ and him alone be our answer. Jesus has filled the law of God completely and perfectly on our behalf. And when we grow weary of theology, when we no longer want to study the words about God, may the Lord pull us back and remind us of what he has done and what he has accomplished for us. You see, it is true, as John once said in John 1 and verse 18, that no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But today we know and can rejoice that Christ Jesus has made him known. Brothers and sisters, as we return let us return seeking much of Christ. Let us return seeking once again to hear the old, old story of Jesus. The story of the cross and the empty tomb and the curtain torn in two and the old done away with and the new brought in and the spirit poured out upon the Gentiles and salvation for all who repent of their sins and believe in the precious name of Jesus. May we fall silent just like the critics in Acts 11 as once again we ponder the glory and the greatness of Jesus. For today he remains the one who is able to save to the uttermost those who call upon him. Today, if you are outside of Christ, and I urge you to receive him by repentance and faith, you are a law breaker, and you need one who has kept that law perfectly on your behalf. Jesus is that one. His death was enough. He is alive and well. He stands in glory. Receive him by faith. But brothers and sisters, may we have a hunger for the things of God, for the word of God, for theology. Because as the apostle once wrote in John 20 and verse 31, that there were many things that were not included in his gospel, but these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name.